This is Within and Between, a podcast about the methods and meta-science behind developmental science. Hi, it's Jessica Logan. And it's Sarah Hart. And welcome back to an episode of Within and Between. Hi, everyone. Hi. Uh, this week, we uh, took, I guess it's kind of like a request. We yeah. had a couple of people talk to us about this paper that we, uh, commentary paper that we had that just came out. Um, and so thought we would go over the ideas that are in this paper. Yeah. What a fun, what a fun paper to write, Jess. Oh, my gosh. It was so fun to write. Yeah, so this paper, to kind of give you guys a little bit of background, the paper is called um, uh, From the Trajectory of Heritability to the Heritability of Trajectories. Uh, And it's a commentary paper that's going to be published in Behavioral and Brain Sciences in response to this big, like, tome of a paper called The Cultural Evolution of Genetic Heritability um, from uh, Uchiyama and colleagues. Uh, where uh, I guess the way I was not as familiar with this journal as I guess maybe I should have been, but the way this journal works is they, you know, have this really, really big piece that's supposed to be like this big theoretical piece. uh, And then the journal kind of half publishes that. It's not a full publication, but they put it out. They say, this has been accepted. And now we are going to receive commentaries or responses to this paper. And then that's like, it stays out there for like six months or whatever it is. And they um, elicit tons of commentaries. You put in a proposal and then they invite certain ones for uh, full submission. It's like a couple thousand words every commentary. And then they publish these. It's supposedly it's going to be like 20 or 40 commentaries somewhere in there to this original big piece. And that's one issue of this uh, journal. So it's super cool. And yeah, it's such a cool idea. Yeah, you and I, Jess, have a paper, uh, our commentary that was accepted in it, uh, with our good friend and colleague, uh, Roger Kevitt. So Mm -hmm. uh, we thought we would talk about this a little bit. You know, this is kind of an idea that, you know, I kind of say, if I'm I'm in the hallway rambling about this thing (laughs) that I've been thinking about, like, this is it. This has been something, uh, you know, that I... It, you know, it really kind of came out of thinking and working with you way back mm-hmm. in the day uh, and continued. I did. Um, I spent a sabbatical month in Cambridge with Roger and, it, you know, we shared an office. He was so kind to share his office with me while I was over there. And you know, I would like ramble on about what, see, you know, seeing this idea when I was there. And we finally got a place to write up this idea. And that's what we're yeah. going to talk about today, what this idea really is. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, that was so fun to hear you lay that all out. Um, because you brought me in sort of later on this. You guys had already talked about maybe writing this and then said, hey, you want to come do this with us? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it was really fun. Yeah, we finally, you know, Roger saw this paper came out and, uh, and saw the uh, the um, request for commentaries. And he wrote me and was like, this is it. This is our time to finally get this idea out. And uh, then the, you know, the three of us came together and wrote up the idea. <laughs> so cool. um okay so let's talk a little bit about what what it is i mean the the title is one of my most favorite things i love this title so much but i understand that somebody looking at it might just be like this is word salad i don't what are you (laughs) (laughs) 
the English language is really funny when it comes to prepositions and prepositional phrases. And the word of is a particularly confusing one. You know, it's one of those that where the order of words makes a difference. And so mm -hmm. that's why we said trajectory of heritability versus heritability of trajectories. But the way that I think we should build up this argument for yeah. the listeners here is we're going to we'll get there. But let's start off with a little bit of a simpler concept. <laughs> <laughs> a simpler concept that I have in our outline written as growth is something that people do. <laughs> let's, let's start at the very beginning. Yes. A very fine place to start. So, so yes. see, individuals are born <laughs> and they grow. Oh, my God. And okay, that's pretty listen. much my entire like child psychology class, if you were to get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, maybe to break that down a little bit more. Yeah, we to mean say more that... than, like the statistical <laughs> idea of growth, right, Jess? Is that what you're trying to say? That's what I'm trying to say yes. is how like thinking about a skill or an ability. So thinking about reading, reading skills or math skills, uh, those are skills i've just used that word a hundred times that some that people start off not knowing anything about and grow in their ability to do them or use them however you want to describe it you can't read and then you practice at it and then eventually you can read so that's what i mean by growth is something that people do um and so one of the things we have talked about on this podcast before is how you we we both really like to study individual differences. Mm -hmm. That's something that's just like any time that people are talking about a, a skill or an ability or a trait, I'm usually thinking about, yeah, but how are people different from one another on this? And if they're different from one another on this, what else are they different from one another on? Um, and, and so – Yeah, what? why are they different from one another is yeah. where most of my work sits. Exactly. Why are they different? So that if you think about um, a, a people at one point in time, mm -hmm. everybody still there are lots of individual differences. People are still different from one another. Yeah. So if you were to get like a sample of a couple hundred five year olds, mm -hmm. you'll see lots of individual differences across those mm -hmm. five year olds. It would actually look like a nice normal distribution if you were to <laughs> graph their reading have, skills let's say <laughs> you'd have a couple of people who are really 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 good at reading and a mm -hmm. couple of people who couldn't do it at all and mostly people would be right in the middle maybe five years old is not a great because at five years old it technically yeah. it kind of right. looks a little skewed reading but, you is know. a poor example of five but how about how about eight? by eight, eight. at eight yeah, years eight. old eight there you go nice normal distribution yeah. of skills <laughs> but so not only though are people do they individually vary if you pick everybody at eight years old? But if you follow people from age eight to age nine, they're going to get better at reading at different rates. Mm -hmm. So they grow and change at different rates. So not only can you have individual differences in your slow, in your intercepts or in your, you know, how static time point of a skill, you can also have individual differences in how fast people acquire that particular skill or how slow. Yeah, and this is the idea, right? Like inter-individuals versus intra-individual, right? Kind of how how the how a person changes across time. Why am I laughing? Because yeah. it's kind of like a within person effect versus a between person effect. <laughs> I was like, what am I saying? That's funny. Yeah. Oh, we've come back to within and between, haven't we? Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> with but see i think that within person effects refer to how fast or how how much something changes within a person but and so i think that our field is sort of used to thinking about that idea how fast is this changing within this person mm-hmm. but not necessarily thinking about the fact that there is variance in that between people oh got you yeah that you can yeah yeah all right yeah, yeah. nothing really i'm like yes you are correct jess (laughs) we're used to thinking about within like people do grow and we we can model how much a person grows or changes but thinking about that change as having variance i think is a little bit more of a stretch and so just to that's our first stretch there's there's variance in how a static time point of a whole bunch of people and there's variance in how they grow now the next little leap Mm -hmm. is that we can co-vary intercepts and slopes. So I can look at how much people change and that variance, and that has a co-variance with where people start. Yes. And often in reading, at least, there's kind of a some like a famous phenomenon called the Matthew effect, which actually came from the broader like science, meta-science literature, actually. Um, right. The original Matthew effect. Well, let me start back. In reading, the Matthew effect is the idea is that better readers at the start then kind of grow when they're reading faster. So, you know, if you're already kind of a good reader to start or good initial skills, then you'll your reading skills will grow faster than someone who was kind of lower in the originals, you know, their original reading skills, their growth over time. And eventually, if it works in a sample, if you see it in a sample, not if it works, if you see it in a sample, you don't necessarily see it in all samples. And there's lots of arguments about how you should statistically define it. And if it exists or not, we're not going to get into that. Mm -hmm. But if you were to see it, then you should see something that's called fan spread growth, right? That across time, the variance in your sample as they're changing across time should get bigger. Uh, There should be more variance across time with this fan spread growth. Um, Yeah. Which just to to clarify that point, that means that if you're measuring eight-year-olds and you're measuring nine-year-olds, the ni- when they're nine, there's more variance than when they are eight. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Keep going. I went. I went too complex and I too fast. No, you no no you didn't. I just want that that point is really important later. So I just want to define like when we're saying that the that there's more variability, we mean that there at the static time point of nine there is more than at the static time point when there's when they're eight. Mm-hmm. So. I would say that probably intuitively everybody listening would say that it makes sense that there should be a correlation or this covariance from where people start and then how they change across time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just kind of makes sense, right? Uh, Or else we would not have correlate, at least in my head, I don't, you tell me if I'm wrong about this, Jess, we wouldn't then see if we just looked at cross-sectional samples from kids studied at eight, kids studied at nine, kids studied at 10, we wouldn't see that high of a correlation between those time points if it didn't make sense that that there was a correlation for where you start to how you grow. Hmm. Sure. Right? I don't know. Yeah, I buy that. I mean, yeah. I Right? Relatively maybe. the That's rank order. Relatively the rank order, people tend to stay in the relative rank order over time. Yeah, yeah. Like, they do tend to stay, like, when you're eight, you're, you're the kids who are eight are in the same rank order-ish as when they're nine. That's why it correlates it from eight to nine. Yeah. So I see what you mean. So the idea would be that if if it's core if being 
Oh gosh, this is very complicated. Okay, if... <laughs> we spun out. We spun out. <laughs> <laughs> individual differences at eight are correlated with individual differences at nine. Stability of reading skills in particular is pretty strong. It's like 0. 0.6, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8. Yeah. Um, and I think math is probably pretty similar. Do you know? I don't actually remember off the top of my head from six to seven or seven to eight or wherever. Uh, yeah. What am I, I talking about? Eight and nine. There's actually not been a lot of developmental work in math, which is uh, another thing. But I would assume it's relatively the same. But there is more change in skill across time, I would say. So maybe a little bit less mm. than math, than reading. But mm. Still, so, so anytime you're auto an autoregressor is what we call that sometimes to be really super fancy. It just means auto as in self-regressor. Uh, re- regression coefficient. <laughs> I was trying to not. I like to break down terms, but that one I got lost in. <laughs> it just means predicting itself. It's just the same measure over time. It tends to be pretty highly correlated because you're measuring the people on the same thing twice, basically. So they're pretty strongly correlated. And so when they're growing, surely it's going to be related. Got it. Yes. I believe it. So, to bring us back to your point, Jess, yes, people can, there is a correlation or covariance between intercept and slope, where you start and how you change across time. Mm -hmm. And you can model that. Yeah. You can can estimate it. It exists as You can estimate that covariance, you mean. Yeah. Yeah, you sure can. And then, to, to back off of covariance, I mean, that's definitely there. But there's also the question of, you, you can predict the intercept and you can also predict the slope or the change. Mm-hmm. This is something that we went back and forth a lot in that paper on when we were writing it is like, what is the word? Is it change? Is it slope? Is it growth? Is it trajectory? Is it development? It's kind You're of right, complicated. You're right, because the title is trajectory. Yeah, I usually always describe it as change, um, but that's just the word that I say without thinking. Yeah, we're try- in that case, we're really just talking about how how people are changing over time that's the trajectory or the uh, change Mm -hmm. i think i know why people don't write about this (laughs) (laughs) so what we're trying to say is that within you can predict an intercept and you can predict the slope or the change of something so you can predict a static time point and you can predict that change and the same variable that you use might predict your slope differently mm-hmm. than it predicts your intercept. So we know uh, that uh, socioeconomic status is correlated with individual differences in reading skills mm-hmm. at age eight. We know that that's, that's a pretty common predictor. It's a covariate that goes in most of our models. It does not do as good of a job of predicting change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't necessarily even hypothesize that it should predict change. Right. Right. Exactly. And so they're just, they're completely, they're not completely different constructs, but they, their sources of variance are different. Yes. Yes. And yes. Uh, now, how do you measure intercepts and slopes, Jess? How do I measure them? You mean or like, like what I model mo- them? How do you model it? Yeah. You can model them in all kinds of ways, but well, the common probably, I mean, this is a whole, oh my gosh, this is a whole other episode in and of itself. But one way that we'll probably talk about the most here because it ties into our BG stuff we'll do later is with structural equation modeling. Mm-hmm. So we'll use, they call them latent intercepts and latent slopes, and we'll model those. And th- that ties really nicely into 
to the BG, you know, matrix algebra situation that we'll get into in a minute. So in those cases, we call those factors the mm-hmm. latent intercept and the latent slope. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just call them intercepts and slopes just to be confusing. So we have both an intercept and a slope. And that's how we'll model how kids start and how they grow. Yeah. And you just, over time. you just throw in some more arrows if you want to predict it or if you want to decompose it. Say you're a behavioral geneticist. By decomposing, I mean you want to say this variance around the intercept, this variance around the slope and the covariance between the two. I want to further break that down into sources of genetic and environmental influences if you're a behavioral geneticist, let's say. Uh, but you equally could, you know, I don't know. I'm sure people like to decompose things for other reasons, but who, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, probably. Decompose all the variants. Just go for it. Yeah. yeah that's, well, now I'm spinning out thinking about all the different ways we could decompose variants. So I need to just <laughs> focus back in here. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we, uh, so, so that's sort of the basic idea of the, that intercepts have individual differences. Slopes have inter- individual differences. They can co-vary. They don't always. And different things can predict them. Their sources of variance are not necessarily the same. Oh, and the last point that I wanted to make, why I asked you how do you model it, is that this is different. Uh, to me, this is a true developmental approach when you think about growth, late, you know, intercepts and, and, and growth factors or, you mm-hmm. know, this change across time. And that's different than this cross-sectional modeling, which is kind of the key point, right? So, like, if you look at a sample of all five-year-olds and all six-year-olds and all seven-year-olds and you look at what they look like at five, that you look at what they look like at six and what they look like at seven, you know, this cross-sectional approach, um, that's a different type of modeling than the modeling we're talking about now. Mm, uh, uh-huh. And um, I think that will hopefully be important because then we'll talk about why that matters Right now. Genetics part. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so let's transition into behavior genetics. Yeah. So thinking about behavior genetics, if we're if you think about again, reading skills at age eight. Reading skills at age eight, we know how heritable those tend to be, although it's different in different samples, but we have an idea of how heritable or uh, how do how much the variability in third grade reading scores, for example, is due mm-hmm. to genes versus environments versus, you know, non shared environments. Um, and we, one of the things we know from lots of years of research is that heritability, which is amount due to genes, that tends to be stronger in much older people. Am I saying that right? You want to, yeah. Do you have some idea of, or some benchmarks of, about how heritable things are so we can give listeners a real, concept? A real number. Yeah. Some real numbers. Yeah, you see, so, I wrote examples and I didn't actually go look them up, which is what I meant to do before we, because I wanted to have real data and not just my recollections of papers I've read. Yeah, so when you're looking kind of cross-sectionally, right, at heritability, well, first of all, there's something called the first law of heritability, which is the idea anytime you look at a, a trait, uh, you will, if you do a genetic, if you, you, you do a behavioral genetics approach on it, you will find that a good chunk of the variance in that trait or the good chunk of the individual differences in that trait is due to genetic influences, is due to this mm-hmm. heritability idea. Her- pretty much if you have, if you measure a person or if you have them answer a question or whatever it is, you're going to find heritability in that given trait. Uh, you know, how much you watch TV is heritable. Like everything is heritable. Mm-hmm. When you look at it cross-sectionally, 
Uh, and But there's some interesting kind of caveats to that. And one, when you look at cross-sectional research across time, so if you look at a sample, you're right, you measure them at eight, you measure them at 20, you measure them at 80, um, you do tend to see that cross-sectionally that heritability estimate, so the proportion of individual differences attributable to genetic effects, that heritability estimate increases as your sample gets older. And so uh, the one of the most commonly cited paper on this looked at this in um, general cognitive abilities, so not in reading, but in, in this, you know, kind of general intelligence idea, general cognitive ability, G, whatever you call mm-hmm. it. Um, they looked at this, you know, in childhood, early adulthood, kind of later adulthood, I think in older adulthood, uh, and saw that the heritability went up from, I should have looked at these numbers too. It's approximately, you know, like in the 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 20s to the 40% of the variance explained all the way up to older adulthood, you get up to like 80% variance explained uh, by genetic effects or the heritability. So as we also see this, um, my lab has a meta-analysis looking at the average genetic and environmental influences on reading skills. And so, you know, the, the overall effect size for heritability in the meta-analysis, so across kind of all published and unpublished work looking at the heritability of reading, is it's somewhere in the 0.5s range. Mm-hmm. Don't remember the exact number off the top of my head. It's like 0.57 <laughs> or so, 0.56. Okay. Um, and that's a pretty common finding, you know, lots of heritability on any given trait. But if we add in age as a moderator to that effect, then we see this nice, the same idea that as, as your sample gets older, the heritability is gets higher. Um, and there's behavioral genetics theory. We've talked about it before, gene environment correlations that, that try to explain this phenomenon. So this idea of an active gene environment correlation, you can kind of go back to that episode where we went really deep into gene environment correlations if you're really interested in that. Um, But this idea that heritability gets higher as samples get older because individuals are surrounding themselves more and more and more with environments that are correlated with their genes. And that means then that you kind of wipe out the environmental variance and it's more due to genetic. The genetic variance looks like it's getting higher and higher. It's not that genes matter more, right? We're just talking about sources of individual differences here. We're pretty far removed from the actual effect of genes. Don't forget, this is just um, decomposing variants. So yeah. yeah, that right there, that whole concept you just explained, that is the trajectory of heritability. Yes. The trajectory, meaning how does heritability change over time? That is the trajectory of heritability is that it increases over time. It increases over time. Yeah. That which is different because of what we just talked, because all of that is still talking about cross-sectional. That's all talking about just intercepts. And almost all of the work in behavioral genetics has been cross-sectional, which is why this is such, this is like canon now, right? First of all, there's Mm -hmm. like literally the first law of behavioral genetics is, you know, you'll find heritability matters you'll get significant you know heritability in kind of any trait at any age you look at it but this is kind of rested on this cross-sectional work so you Mm -hmm. have that first the first law of of behavioral genetics genetics matters uh or will be shown to be mattered in a sample and then you're right that it increases as samples are older this cross-sectional so this is pretty i mean like an undergrad in my behavioral genetics class can say this finding easily. They've seen lots of figures of it. They know this finding. Exactly. But, okay. Which is different. Different. Than how heritable a slope is. Yes. Which is why individual dif- and, and so remember we talked about how 
predictors of your intercepts and predictors of your slope could be different because they each have individual differences and they each have their own variances that are not necessarily perfectly correlated. Mm -hmm. So because they have different sources of variance, that includes genetic and environmental differences. Mm -hmm. And so one of the first papers we ever did was taking a a growth model of uh, reading and decomposing the intercept and the slopes. Yeah, actually find... using like a developmental approach and let, you know, not let's just not do it cross-sectionally. Let's take a developmental model and let's do a latent growth curve model of reading skills. Uh-huh. So to look and see how does, so, and we see that, you know, the the findings for the intercepts match up really nicely with the rest of the field and what everybody else is finding. Because it's literally a cross-sectional data point. This is just when kids starts. are three yeah. or in third grade. Yeah. That's that is what that's how that decomposes. But when you look at the slope and how much people grow, we at least for reading saw a much bigger contribution of the environment, the shared environment, um, for for how kids grow compared to when it was just one time point. Yes, the growth factor is almost entirely shared environmental um, with reading, uh, and. Um, that's at least I think the finding that we we're like whoa and we saw it and then we saw it again mm-hmm. and then we saw it again and then we saw it again in other samples that did latent growth curve modeling of reading and we yeah. kept seeing it so we saw it across two different eight, two different growth curve models right in our original Ohio sample that we were working in so two different mm-hmm. kind of sets of ages um, we saw it in the Florida twin sample when we did a different totally different twin sample, totally different measures. Uh, And I've seen it now, we've seen it now with other um, groups that have published similar growth curve models on reading and different twin samples have seen this as well. Really high estimates of shared environmental influences. So these are, again, the environmental influences uh, that make uh, the not, I'll say it again, the non-genetic influences that make siblings more alike. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so we subscribe, we 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 say that's because I don't know what word I was trying to say there. Uh, ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. Thank you. You're ascribe. Right. No, As, <laughs> we ascribe that to um, uh, you know, to things like growing up in the same home or going to the same schools or receiving the same reading curriculum or whatever it is that mm-hmm. the, these environmental inputs that that siblings share, specifically twins here share. So we see, yeah, on our those that growth, the slope factor that it's really high and heritability is really low. And so, and that right there is the heritability of trajectories, which is why it's very, they're two fundamentally different ideas because the, the, uh, yeah, because how heritable the slope is, is the heritability of the trajectory mm-hmm. as opposed to the trajectory of the heritability. Now here's some cool stuff, Jess. Oh my gosh. Yes, go. I mean, I think that as a behavioral geneticist, this finding is super, super interesting, right? Like I told you, it's canon. The other, the the cross-sectional findings are canon. It's just so well replicated across every mm-hmm. trait, um, across every twin sample in the world that you see. Genetics really matter uh, and that the genetic influences increases across time as people get older. And so now we're so- saying, okay, these growth curve factors actually the the genetic influence is actually quite low, if not statistically non-significant. It's so low, it's usually close to zero. Yeah, that the, made a lot of people mad, actually, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> and our, yeah, uh, <laughs> and our, uh, our, 
here for reading, then the shared environmental influences are really quite high. In a reading cross-sectionally, when kids are young, we do see some shared environmental influences. It is a trait that does tend to show shared environmental influences. Not every, not a lot of traits in, in the behavioral genetics world show shared environmental influences, but reading does. I at least think that it's because it's something that's explicitly taught. It has to be taught usually in schools and or by parents or and by parents. Uh, and so there's a lot of environmental input that's in common across the twins. And so we do tend to see shared environmental influences when kids are first learning to read, when the samples are first learning to read. So they're younger mm -hmm. ages. Um, but we really see a lot of it on the slope factor. Almost all the individual differences of the slope. Uh, now, so first of all, that's cool in itself. Mm -hmm. And we thought that was cool in reading. And, you know, when we were writing our this commentary paper, I was like, let me just, you know, is it just reading? Is it just in, you know, specific cognitive skills and childhood that we see this, this effect? And, you know, I, I did a quick gander across the literature. And when any behavioral geneticist has published a latent growth curve model of any trait, pretty much, it was pretty consistent that the findings on those growth curve, that growth curve factor, is totally different than would be expected from the cross-sectional data. Mm. So you, pretty consistently, what the literature shows when you do a latent growth curve model and from a behavioral genetics approach, the, la the, the latent growth factor, how people are changing across time, has little to no effect due to heritability. So that estimate is zero or close to zero and i looked at bmi personality even i think height changes so kind of across these different phenotypes um heritability of how people are growing or changing across time is really 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 low what? and i know this is even for phenotypes that have really high heritability at the intercept like, that's amazing yeah so i didn't it, know that outside of these 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 you know children's development areas that's yeah, so cool and so you know it's cognitive yeah, yeah it uh, it's a pretty consistent finding of course there's always some you know you know they somebody didn't find it here but yeah sure it's pretty consistent now where reading's a little bit different is again we show high shared environmental influences on the slope factor um, not every phenotype shows any shared environmental influences at any time point. And so, mm. so for something like BMI, where I don't think that they show much shared environmental influences ever, uh, or personality, really, I don't know those mm -hmm. areas quite as well, but I think they're much lower at any cross-sectional age. You don't really show shared environmental influences. So for those phenotypes, they don't see higher shared environmental influences on the slope. They show higher non-shared environmental influences on the mm. slope, kind of the last piece the last component, uh, uh, variance component we estimate, estimate as a behavioral geneticist. So I would say kind of the take-home finding is that, yeah, when you examine how people are changing across time, um, there is just a much lower estimate than should be predicted by behavioral genetics theory and common sense, much lower estimates of heritability on that, that you know, slope factor. Mm -hmm. than even the intercept. And you want to take it even a step further, Jess? Uh, always. We talked about how the intercept and the growth curve factors, right, have covariance. You know, they're correlated with each other. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I was like, I don't know where we're going, but now I do, and I'm excited. Now, yeah. So 
remember, we've got this intercept factor, which is just like every other cross-sectional data set, or any cross-sectional uh, estimate, I should say. You know, you got some genetic influences, maybe some shared environmental influences, some non-shared environmental influences, kind of a mix of it all, but mostly genetics. And then we have the slope factor for reading. You know, it's high shared environmental influences and across all traits, really low heritability influences uh -huh. on the slope factor. When you look at the extent to which genes and environments are correlated across the intercept and the slope factor, so you can look at the extent to which there's the same genes or the same environmental influences affecting both the intercept and the slope factor, so the extent to which they're the, sh they're the same genetic or environmental influences, uh -huh. it's like zero. There's almost <sighs> no overlapping genetic or environmental influences between the intercept and the slope factors. So That's so cool. The source of the individual differences of the intercept are different than the sources of the individual differences of the slope factors. I just want to say that again because that was such a fun sentence. The <laughs> sources of individual differences for the slope are different than the sources of individual differences for the intercept. Mm -hmm. I feel like I missed some words in there, but that no, that is it. that's exactly yeah. That's what so that even though they co-vary. And they may co-vary pretty strongly, 0.6, maybe, who knows? It just depends on the skill. They, they co-vary at different levels, the, the intercept and the slope. But what you're saying is that even in that within that covariance, that the, the sources are not the same. They're not the same, especially the genetic influences. Oh, I mean, it, it's got to be one of those influences. has got to, you know, if there's that high of a correlation, something's got to be, you know, underlying that correlation. But at least when you look at the genetic effects, yeah, there. It's not the same genes, and for reading, it's not the same shared environments. That is so awesome. So we thought, you know, in our papers when we published our empirical papers, we said things like, you know, um, what what is influencing ki how kids are changing in their reading scores, and it's mm -hmm. likely explicit instruction, right? That is what is the source of this individual differences and in how they change. So, you know. It seems pretty common sense to me that that how children are changing across time should be mostly due to environmental influences. Absolutely. And environmental influences shared between twins. So the same it's common for most twins to go to the same school and those schools to say, use the same reading curricula or, mm -hmm. you know, and they, you know, twins can share the same classroom. So then they even the same teacher. Um, and, you know, that's at least, you know. With, you know, we haven't empirically tested this and we can empirically test it uh, with the one day, hopefully with a, a specific type of model, we can empirically test this. We don't know this. <laughs> Let me take this stuff back. We don't actually know the sources of those individual differences. We don't oh, gotcha. know what the shared environmental influences are. Right. Um, but this is what we conjecture. We're hypothesizing yes. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah We're yeah. thinking this might be the case. Yeah. Which I, I do think that it's important to, to acknowledge that these that these so far skills that we're talking about are ones that grow and change at a rate that is predictable. They are develop, they develop over time. So as I brought that up to say, because we mostly think about reading and we think about math. So we think about these sort of cognitive based skills and, and some like intelligence or G, those are the kinds of skills that we've looked at in modeling these. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but I wonder, you know, there's a lot of, folks I think who listen to this, a lot of folks in developmental science sort of generally who are interested in social emotional learning. And social emotional learning, we don't measure maybe as well right now. Mm -hmm. And it it doesn't have a trajectory 
that's expected over time, necessarily. We don't think like all eight-year-olds are better at it than seven-year-olds. All nine-year-olds are better at it than eight-year-olds. So there's no like typical developmental trajectory that's been mapped for those particular skills. So I, I don't know how this would play out in something that doesn't have change inherent to it. Oh, yes. Well, Which, then it would have no variance, right? The change there would no just variance? be no variance. Well, yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't necessarily fit a growth model to it. This is actually one of the reasons this comes up is because I work with people who are in, who are studying this and they want to model growth in these skills, but they don't, they don't grow, they don't grow. <laughs> or they do. Some people change in them. Some people get better at them and then get worse at them. But it's not like a developmental trajectory that you're on, which is what we feel like it is for, for reading. Most kids, almost all kids, are better at reading one year than they were the previous year. Yeah, it's pretty hard to lose reading skills. I mean, you hear a summer slump and stuff like that, but they pretty they, they catch up and they continue to grow. They continue to grow. Exactly. So for something that doesn't have a, a typical trajectory where you would expect growth to be on a on that trajectory it i think it would function differently um if you could even model it at all i guess it depends you, on you, you want to know slope. something interesting and i know this literature a little bit less so it was just a like literature search but while we were writing this paper um but you know i don't know if anybody's looked at reading in old age but they looked at cognition in old age right they mm. looked at things like cognitive decline in old age mm -hmm. and there are some great developmental behavioral geneticists working in the field who are doing these growth curve models but the end of at, at old age at the end oh, of the yeah. lifespan and so there right the trajectory is actually a downward trajectory mm -hmm. but you still see this reduced heritability on the the slope factor so, so cool yeah so uh, you know although this the slope will be negative right people are losing their skills in old age but mm -hmm. you still see that it is a not not nearly due to genes the same way it's due at the intercept to genetic influences, right? Because remember I said at old age, the genetic effects on the intercept are quite high, um, really right. high, like 0.8 for general cognitive ability. But, but still we... how they decline is not due to genes as much? No. Girl, that is so cool. Yeah. So. What? Heritability of trajectories. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. So that's, I guess that was kind of our idea of the paper, you know, just pointing this out that, you know, uh, that, you know, that you need to think that you need to take a developmental approach and you need to think of all the ways that that individuals kind of change and develop across time. And you can look at that cross-sectionally, uh, but that you will get different answers when you look at it cross-sectionally than when you look at you know, apply a, you know, a growth curve model or whatever your developmental approach is to look at kind of growth or change across time and that the source of those individuals differences is different. And yeah. And to back us up a step for those of us who are not doing behavior genetics yeah. work right now, the same holds true. You're going to have different predictors of your intercept as you will from your slope or your different predictors mm -hmm. for your static time points versus change. And sometimes one of those is more interesting than the other. Sometimes we really want to know about how kids are changing within a school year or across a school year or across a summer. And that is actually the construct we're really interested in. And sometimes we just want to know, where are you? You know, in educational stuff, we tend to say things like, do you pass third grade reading? Like that's a one time point. Well, not here in Ohio, you get to take it like six times, but you really <laughs> just want to know, did you pass? 
yes or no. And so that's like one static time point, one, one thing. I'm not interested in change for those questions. But sometimes we're thinking, how does my curriculum influence how kids grow and change? In which case, my outcome needs to be change. It can't be a static time point because that doesn't answer my question. Mm-hmm. Ugh, fun. I so, love, love development. Isn't it cool? It's so cool. I know. It's just like another fun layer of complexity on top of. <sighs> anyway, we, we love development. That's why we're a developmental science podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the end. Thanks for listening to us talk about this commentary piece. We hope that this helps you, you know, think through some problems in your own research and maybe helps you read through our commentary and understand our word salad of Yeah, and I will say the commentary kind of has a, a a a different flair than even how we discussed it here. So Very much so. Yeah, check it out and you can see some other um kind of takes on it. Uh, and uh, we'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Good luck, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Within and Between. For information about this and all our episodes, you can visit our website, withinandbetweenpod.com. Connect with us on Twitter at within underscore between where you can send us questions about developmental science and developmental sciencing. See you next time.